Well, welcome, friends. I am thoroughly pleased to be here with you tonight because I feel a powerful connection. How can that be, you ask? We've actually never met. Well, we're connected by our shared origin, our unified construct, and a unique quality that we call our soul. Because of our connections, we are actually one and the same. My name is Douglas Gilbert, and the theme that runs through this presentation is the oneness of all human society. Metaphors are helpful tools for illustrating a concept. For example, the flower provides many metaphors for the human condition. Some say we are all flowers of one garden, while others say, this miserable world will pluck your petals and break your stem and toss you back into the dust. However, we humans are much more than flowers. The flower is a plant living the rose experience. We are spiritual beings living the human experience because we have been endowed with a rational soul, the greatest gift of all, a soul that motivates our actions, reasons through problems, and determines how we will respond to the adversities placed before us in this world. C.S. Lewis, the famed British author who progressed in his lifetime from atheist to Christian theologian to Hindu scholar, said this, we don't have a soul, we are a soul. We happen to have a body. Most of us rarely contemplate our eternal soul, much less talk about it. But Greek philosopher Socrates advised us, attend to your soul before and above all else. Before and above all else. So let's take some time to discuss the soul and to ponder the views of the greatest thinkers and educators of all time. Begin with the Torah in Genesis 2, 7, we read, the Lord formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. This is the ultimate metaphor. The soul is our breath of life. It brings life to us, and it brings us to life. In the first 12 hours, we exist as a single cell, a fertilized egg. At some point, and we don't know exactly, the great being associates one soul with our developing little body that will accompany us throughout our mortal life. Wherever the body is, the soul is there as well. In the poetic book of Psalms 139, 13 and 14, we read, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, 
and my soul knows it very well. At the beginning of human life, that single cell cannot know its own potential or its destiny. It has no capabilities except to divide and multiply according to the laws of providence, inscribed in the universal language of DNA, to develop the complex molecular structures that form all anatomical components necessary for life outside the womb. Likewise, the soul begins its life in stark purity with no attributes, no perfections, a stranger in a strange land with infinite potential for learning and achievement through experiences in the natural world and exposure to wondrous ideas. The natural world is the soul's spiritual birthplace for the world to come. Although the essence of the soul is unknowable to us, we can develop an appreciation for its characteristics and powers by studying the broad array of holy scriptures available to us in light of the evidences from the natural world. Actually, the concept of the soul comes from the scriptures, regardless of religion, and the natural world has counterparts in the spiritual world. So together, they form the basis of knowledge that's accessible to human beings about our true selves. But don't think that the soul is strictly a Judeo-Christian concept. Greek philosopher Plato said, knowledge of the soul is the only universal truth and the only wisdom. Also, the Quran, 1785 states, and they ask you about the soul, say, the soul is an entity by the command of my Lord, and you have not received knowledge of it, except a little. Every religious description of the soul depicts an elemental spirit that transcends death and progresses through all eternity. The attributes of the human condition are spirit, the mind, and the soul. But for the soul to progress, it begins its journey here in the human temple. According to the great Baha'i master Abdu'l-Baha, the spirit provides the power of life, the mind provides the power of apprehension, and the soul is the intermediary between the supreme concourse and the lower concourse, aspiring to spiritual kingdoms, but inclined toward the material realm of spiritual darkness and ignorance. Like animals, we instinctually develop perceptions of the world around us by observing with our senses and from the feelings generated by our experiences. Unlike animals, we develop ideas after contemplating our perceptions and sort them into abstract concepts through the spiritual powers of our memory, our reason, and our imagination. Abdu'l-Baha tells us, imagination conceives things. Thought reflects upon realities. Comprehension grasps realities. Memory retains whatever man imagines, thinks, and comprehends. Another metaphor 
will demonstrate the soul's interaction with the senses. We experience the apple through our five senses and our sixth sense, sometimes called the common faculty, amalgamates the sensory inputs to deliver the full apple experience to our memory, to our imagination, and to our powers of reason. We never bite into an apple and say, what was that noise? Did you hear that? No. We immediately associate the crunch, the taste, the smell of an orchard, the taste of the juice into a complete apple experience. Even now, your memory is conjuring up delightful experiences you've had with apples, and your rational mind can ponder all the things we can do with apples. Pies, strudels, dumplings, sauce, juice. This is a simple example of what happens at the epicenter of the soul and how it perceives reality. We also communicate our ideas and concepts with others, such as we're doing tonight, to advance and refine our collective worldview. But this can be confusing because perceptions vary among people and different cultures, and the truth can sometimes, often, be difficult to distinguish. What we really need is a primary source of knowledge to guide our development in this world of the matrix. To that end, the great being sends divine educators to offer the direction and guidance we need to acquire spiritual qualities and perfections. And you know their names, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, Buddha, the Bab, Baha'u'llah, and Zoroaster, Zarathustra, if you prefer. And there were more. Their teachings passed through the ages as oral tradition until they could be written into a panoply of scriptures. But recent prophets wrote millions of verses in their own hand, and today we can read the pure word from God's pen of glory to our searching eyes to satisfy our soul's quest for truth and understanding. Words alone cannot describe the soul, so we use metaphors and analogies to represent the little that we are allowed to learn in this life. Take the analogy of the light in the mirror. The light appears to be emanating from the mirror. But the light is not in the mirror. The light comes from another source and is reflected by the mirror. And the more perfectly the mirror is polished, the more perfect will be the reflection of the original light. If the mirror is broken or besmirched, the light continues to exist, but the mirror is no longer capable of reflection. The mirror was created to redirect light from one source to other places through the purity of its polished surface. And we see the purest spirits reflected by the purest souls. Greek philosopher Aristotle claimed, the beauty of the soul 
shines out when a man bears with composure one heavy mischance after another, not because he doesn't feel that, but because he is a man of high and heroic temper. Another aspect of the rational human soul is its ability to contemplate and comprehend abstract concepts in the imagination that can never physically be experienced through the senses, such as love, honesty, loyalty, faith. We learn and practice these concepts in this life to prepare for the continuing life of the soul after this mortal life, because we can only carry abstractions beyond our mortal existence. We are trained, furnished, tested here and now through adversity, experiencing loss after loss until only our soul remains to ascend to the next realm. You see, the body's exceptional molecular and cellular composition of atoms must eventually decompose back to its original elements. But the soul is elemental and everlasting, like the atoms in the universe. Most people don't realize that every atom in your body was created in the stars billions of years ago, well before the Earth was formed. In fact, 14 billion years ago, there were no atoms, no matter, no space, and no time. The universe was condensed into an infinitesimally, or an infinitely dense, infinitely hot, and infinitesimally small slurry of compressed subatomic particles, light, and energy, the stuff of quantum physics. The first words in the Bible say, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the spirit of God moved. 13.8 billion years ago, all creation was set into motion with such force that we have no words to describe it the abrupt expansion and cooling as the universe revealed itself out of apparent nothingness. The event caused tiny particles to form simple atoms like hydrogen, helium, in great swirls that grouped together and formed stars and galaxies and created larger atoms that grouped to form even larger galaxies that collided as new stars formed and old stars convulsed and died. Even larger atoms were formed through nuclear fusion in the violent death rattles of white dwarfs and red giants and supernovas blown as stardust across the universe and the cosmos. All this prior to the formation of Earth four and a half billion years ago, which is another miraculous story. So the creator went to great efforts to create a universe that would emerge a myriad of diverse life forms. And today, today, we built sophisticated telescopes that fly a million miles from Earth to peer into the heavens, almost back to the beginning. We are literally the universe 
observing itself. Baha'u'llah, the prophet founder of the Baha'i faith, once said, He is the one who revealeth whatsoever he willeth, and by his injunction, be thou. All things have come into being. Our souls were sent into this world conjoined with the mortal body at the pinnacle of creation, the highest form of life, but still limited when compared to the enduring capacity of the soul. The famous 13th century Persian poet Rumi, an Islamic scholar and Sufi mystic, said, My soul is from elsewhere. I'm sure of that. And I intend to end up there. Our world is not our home. We're just passing through it at the onset of a greater journey of discovery. Where then is the home of the soul? Another metaphor. Think of a new chick emerging from its shell into the physical world. Where was that chick before the shell cracked open? It was here in the loving care of its mother hen. And everyone knew it except for the newborn chick. Because the new chick could not sense that a larger world filled with light and motion existed, surrounding it with everything that it will need in its life. Baha'u'llah said, God hath revealed that we are closer to man than his life vain. He also said, wonder not if my best beloved be closer to me than mine own self. Wonder at this, that I, despite such nearness, should still be so far from him. We already exist in the spiritual world. It's all around and within us. But for the moment, our ability to perceive it is limited by our humanity. Of course, there will always be doubters who confuse free will with license for rebelliousness and mere responsibility. They question the sacred text and even the existence of the creator. They say, we don't see direct evidence of God in our lives. Think of our flower. It has no awareness of me, even though I cradle it in my hands. Is this proof? that I don't exist? Of course not. Consider the beautiful painting of Mount Vesuvius rising over the Bay of Naples behind me. It's my favorite painting in the entire world because this painting painted itself. You ask, how is that possible? Where did the paint and the brush strokes and the frame and the concepts come from. This is your rational soul ferreting out the truth that a fine Italian artist created this painting. Now observe the intricacies of the unfolding universe and the diverse array of life forms within it. How did this come to be? 
Your rational soul knows the mystical answer to this question, if you listen. We cannot escape the laws of our creator any more than we can escape the law of gravity or the speed of light. But we have prerogative, free will, and choice in how we will live. Sikh Guru Nanak said, the world is a drama staged in the dream. An almost Shakespearean metaphor. It is only through the drama of daily life that we learn the vital essence of this world. Here we rise above adversity to discover our courage, to develop our compassion, to commit to perseverance and to acquire wisdom in preparation for eternity. Take care of yourselves and those you encounter. The great Shawnee chief Tecumseh, which means blazing comet, advised us, live your life so that the fear of death can never enter your heart. Love your life, protect your life, beautify all things in your life. Seek to make your life long and its purpose in the service of your people. Prepare a noble death song for the day when you go over the great divide. And when that day comes for you to die, be not like those whose hearts are filled with the fear of death, so that they weep and pray for a little more time to live their lives over again in a different way. Sing your death song and die like a hero going home. Our common journey connects us because all paths lead back to God. And you choose your path. I will close with a quote from Baha'u'llah. O son of love, thou art but one step away from the glorious heights above and from the celestial tree of love. Take thou one pace and with the next advance into the immortal realm and enter the pavilion of eternity. Give ear then to that which hath been revealed by the pen of glory. <laughs>